Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights of the April 2020 edition of the Emergency Medicine Journal. Now, I'm pretty certain that you're going to be listening to this at a time when it seems difficult to think about anything else apart from coronavirus and I kind of get that. I think we're all in the the midst of well, once in a century event really it's not even once in a generation event it's something which is going to be all-encompassing for us over the next few months and perhaps for many years to come but having said that there's other things that are going on in life and we need to make sure that we don't ignore the rest of our practice and that we do think about other things that we can use to develop our service and to become better clinicians so whilst you know, I want to get a message out there to everybody from the EMJ to say the work that you're doing now is incredible. It's going to be really, really tough and our thoughts are with you. But at the same time, I think, you know, try and keep other aspects of your clinical work going, keep other aspects of your CPD going and make sure that we continue to develop as a specialty as we go through this. There will be an end point. We will get out the other side and we'll learn a lot about it. With that in mind, the, the journal has a call for papers out at the moment for the corona-related papers, and we're going to try and get those to run through very quickly through the journal so that we can get the messages out there through rapid review and rapid publication, as I believe some of the other journals have done as well. So we're particularly interested in ones which will be helpful to people who are in the midst of the corona epidemic, but also for those who are doing uh, some form of analysis and seeing how things are going to pan out what new therapies are out there review articles etc so if you've got something which you think is a good idea and you want to share it then this is the place to come and there's details about that on the website so do that and get on with it look after yourselves and make sure you wear your ppe and doff it properly and basically you know look after your teams it's really important I'll just uh, summarise some of the elements from the primary survey in April 2020. This was put together by Carolyn Leach. Obviously, the papers this month aren't corona-related because we weren't accepting them. Uh, We didn't know about coronavirus. was going to be quite like this when these papers were being submitted. So the relevance may not seem that relevant to you, but I would argue that in time, it's important that we keep our CPD going. So the first one I'm going to start off with is a paper um, about achieving the right care. And if you're in the US, you probably already know about something called the Right Care Alliance. It's a US-based coalition of clinicians, patients and community members who aim to achieve the best healthcare outcomes at the fairest price without any overdiagnosis, investigation or treatment. This is a big issue, not just in the US where it has cost implications to the individuals, but everywhere because we've got limited healthcare resources and we don't want to do more than we need to. There's some horrific stories that I see coming out of of other health economies where people have been bankrupted just for one ED visit. So it's really important. And in the April edition of the EMJ, the RCA Emergency Medicine Council used a modified Delphi process to identify the top 10 recommendations on how we might have a more balanced approach to healthcare for ED patients. And I do like Delphi's. I've done quite a lot of them myself, but it's a way of harnessing expert opinion in a relatively unbiased way through a series of rounds where you score your agreement or disagreement with a bunch of statements. It's quite a powerful way of looking at these these areas which are, are really quite difficult to study. So four of the things that they found around what they call the quixotic search for certainty, where clinicians do not accept any animal to risk and believe that tests are more objective than clinical judgment. Examples? Requesting a whole body CT for a trauma patient or a just-in-case troponin T for very low-risk chest pain. And the remaining six remind us that social determinants, things like homelessness, substance addiction, deprivation, may actually be more important to health than medical care. And we should focus on spending more time with our patients discussing and sharing objectives. 
definitely worth a read and some reflection and really have a stop and think about what we when we talk about risk i think in emergency medicine we often talk about risk thinking that we're we're managing the patient's risk of them having or having not had a disease particularly around diagnostics but you have to accept that a lot of the risk decision making and risk behaviors that we do are about protecting our own reputation it's not that we want to miss things in patients but sometimes we're a little bit more obsessed about not missing it for ourselves so that we're not going to get pinged for it or sued or or worse so definitely worth a read if you're interested in diagnostics in general the next paper caroline picked up was around the centralization of emergency departments and whether it reduces mortality big topic there's a lot of good evidence out there that centralization of major trauma cancer myocardial infarction stroke services can achieve better outcomes but the evidence for the benefits of centralization for emergency medicine patients in general is less clear so we've got a commentary this month by Cliff Mann, ex-president of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine, critically appraising the article from Price and colleagues, which assessed the impact of the merger of three DGHs, that's a district general hospital if you're not from the UK, um, back in 2015. And the paper assessed the mortality of patients who passed through the EDs before and after the merger. So it's hard to establish whether the improvements were due to service change or representative of a national trend. Thinking of the right care principles, well, yeah. This study is not really able to identify whether there were any disproportionate effects on the poorer socio-economic groups who now would have had much more difficulty accessing the local ED due to you know, changes to transport or of the critically ill patients who would have a longer journey times to hospital. So it's a little bit uncertain, really. But this seems to be a trend across the UK um, and in other health economies. So, yeah, have a look at it. I don't think it's. I don't think we've got to the bottom of this one yet. But yes, there are pros and cons with centralisation. Let's so we say. Caroline's also picked out um, a paper looking at weeding out the impact of a festival event, and it's interesting because our emergency departments are often located near the venues of large sporting or festival type events with a potential impact on the normal pattern of patient attendances. So, four twenty events originated in the United States but are held worldwide on the 20th of April in celebration of marijuana and to protest against the existing laws around the drugs use and possession. I did not know this but there you go. At 4.20pm large numbers of attendees simultaneously consume marijuana which may be expected to lead to an increase in the need for medical services. This is amazing. Staples and colleagues from Vancouver report on their figures of ED attendance from 10 consecutive years, comparing data for the 20th of April to the same time period a week before and a week after in six regional hospitals. And while there was no significant increase in overall ED attendances on the day of the 420 event, there was a notable increase in young male patient numbers, five-fold increase in visits for substance misuse, a tenfold increase in visits for intoxication, and a significant increase in overall attendances for the nearest hospital. And so while the results of this are not really directly generalisable to other events and things, it does raise valuable concepts around preparedness of emergency departments for these events and the importance of on-site festival medical cover and the planning for diversion of ambulances to more distant EDs. I think it also speaks to the idea that mm, a lot of people think that you know, what comes through the emergency department doors is entirely unpredictable. I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think we can predict a lot of things, things we know, uh, sort of festivals, weather, behaviours, events and stuff like that. They may well be able to give us an idea. And perhaps in the future, we can't do it now, we might have to be able to flex our capacity and our staffing around that. The next paper is around the barriers to alcohol screening in the ED. And are we really looking at the right patients? And alcohol screening is something which the EMJ has published a lot on in the past, um, particularly back in the 90s. A lot of work came out of St Mary's in Paddington. But this one's in uh, 
from the Netherlands. In 2013, the SIREN study in the Netherlands attempted to perform screening for hazardous alcohol use on consecutive adult patients at ED triage. Over the one-year period, 35% of the just over 28,000 patients were not screened, of which three quarters were due to staff forgetting or omitting, and the remainder were due because the patient was unable or unwilling to undertake the screening. If you look at the characteristics of the unscreened cohort, these reveal that the patients are more likely to have risk factors for hazardous drinking, and therefore the patients most likely to benefit may have been the ones that were missed, paradoxically. And the study also describes the staff factors which should be considered when implementing such a programme and rightfully considers whether triage is the right point in the patient's attendance to do this. And again, this has been a long-running debate locally. It may well not be the right place because there's other things going on and triage gets you know, bogged down with lots of other stuff which isn't really triage. Okay, so that's an interesting one around alcohol screening if you're doing it in your department. Then Karen's picked out the MED score in the ED, MEDS. So disease severity scoring systems are really popular and they've been used to develop a whole range of assessments of severity of illness and stratified patients based on mortality risk, but most contain parameters not really readily available in the ED. So this month's systematic review examines the accuracy of the MED score, which is mortality in the emergency department sepsis score, in predicting 28-day mortality in patients with infection. Score ranges from 0 to 27, includes nine variables, including some novel parameters such as terminal illness, nursing home, resident bandemia and thrombocytopenia. So quite a complex score. But the authors conclude that the score carried a sensitivity of 79%, which is not actually that bad. It doesn't sound great, but for this sort of thing, it's not bad. And a specificity of 74%. However, the results are limited by heterogeneity, particularly in the timing when the assessment's carried out or the cutoff values used. I think these sort of scores are interesting for looking at populations. I really struggle sometimes to find how we would use this with an individual patient. So, you know, your score of this many points on this score, would it actually change what you do? And I think those are, are slightly more complex questions. Post-COVID, I think we might have some really interesting uh, comments and really interesting thoughts and maybe something you want to look at around the ceilings of care and the appropriateness of care for patients with pre-existing disease who come in during a pandemic for instance or just generally in the ED I mean lots of things can change and be affected by how unwell you were before you had your current illness or injury or exacerbation. Then finally Caroline has looked at ophthalmology and I'm always interested in ophthalmology because I'm married to an ophthalmologist and I feel like I should know about these things so I can have a sensible conversation with her. So how would you remove wound glue from the eyelid? Well, I know the answer to this one, but I'm sure that many ED doctors have had a near miss using tissue adhesive to close a wound. I know I have. And following an incident in their hospital where a glove was glued to a patient's eyelid, you and colleagues tested 24 different products to remove histoacryl adhesive within 90 seconds of application to a cadaveric porcine skin incision. I'm glad they didn't try 24 attempts on that patient. That would have been rough. Um, of the products approached to use near the eye, the winner was a polydexa, um, ear eye drops, interesting, after two hours of soaking. But sadly, this is not something that we commonly keep in ED stock, and I wonder if commercial eye makeup remover products might be just as effective. When I say eye, that's Caroline wondering that, because I don't really have a lot of experience with eye makeup remover products, but I'll take Caroline's word for it. They might be just as effective, who knows? Although they might take a little bit longer to work. So... What are your thoughts on that? I know actually that as a, a spouse of an ophthalmologist that they do use glue on the cornea to seal um, small corneal perforations. So glue in the eye isn't necessarily a disaster. I very much would not recommend that you do it. 
So if you have better tips, if you have better ideas or any comments on the EMJ or this primary survey podcast or anything else, you know you can get in touch with us through the usual means, email, pop a comment on Twitter at emergencymedbmj or get in touch through any of the other social media channels. I would sincerely hope that your summer goes okay. It's going to be a real tough one for us all. And, you know, look after yourselves, look after your staff, look after your patients, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you.